a message that I have just been waiting. God gave this to me on Tuesday, and just the excitement's building and building and building, and I just couldn't wait. So I'm glad that Sunday is finally here. And I hope this week God maybe gives it to me on Wednesday or Thursday, so I'm not like so excited. And again, I couldn't hardly sleep last night because I'm just so excited about it. So if you will turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. Last week we talked about Jesus and God has placed a table for us in the midst of our storm. That he is there for us and that we're all going to face a storm. We're either in a storm, we just came out of a storm, or unfortunately there's a storm in our future. That we have to be prepared for those kinds of things. And we looked at how the enemy wants to come to distract us and to try and take our focus off of God in the middle of that storm and to get it on him. But God says, I prepared a place for you, a table for you, where you don't need to want or worry about anything. This week, we're going to look at another facet of Jesus. And I've titled this, The Radical Named Jesus. Because I don't know about you guys, but Jesus was pretty out there. I mean, for us, we read it and we got the benefit of history. We read the entire thing. But imagine, as I always say, put yourself in the Bible, okay? So here they have been going on for thousands and thousands of years. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. They don't even recognize the birth of the Messiah. They still don't recognize him as the Messiah, by and large. And he shows up, grows up, and some crazy things start happening that they can't explain. But before any of that happens, we see in verse 18 that one day Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net in the water for they fished for a living. They're fishermen. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. That's what they do. They know what there is going on. They grew up. Their whole family's fishermen. Probably for generations and generations, they just fish. That's how they make their money. So picture with me. It's Monday for them, or whatever day it was, but I'm saying Monday, all right? Give me a little leeway here. It's Monday for them, and they're just out there doing what they do every Monday, what they do every Tuesday, what they do every Wednesday. You get where I'm going with that? It's just normal. And this stranger, think about it, this strange dude walks up to them and says, verse 19, come follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Now, that sounds really cool now in Christian ease. Okay, and that sounds really good if you've been in church all your life like I have. But if you're those two guys that are just out there Monday, throwing their nets out, bored, oh, we didn't get much that time, let's do this again. Okay, picture it. Come follow me. Who the heck are you? Wouldn't that be you? Somebody shows up to you at your job and says, Leave your job and come follow me. Well, what kind of retirement package do you have? Do you have health care? Do you have, you, you see what I'm saying? It, put yourself in that situation. In verse 20, and they left their nets at once and followed him. Isn't that amazing? A lot of scholars believe that disciples were actually like 17, 18 years old when this happened. So, you know, there's like, sure, hey, this will be cool. But just think about the faith that that took for them. Step out. 
say, hey, man, we're going. I don't know what this is going to be. How do you fish for people? Is that a different lake we don't know about? You just throw in, here comes a person. I don't know. I mean, that's guy crazy. Verse 21, and further on the shore, they saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in the boat with their father, also a family business. They're repairing their nets. So they've been fishing, and they're now fixing everything so they could do it again. And he called to them to come as well. And they immediately followed him, leaving their boat and their father behind. So we know that Jesus went and he started gathering all of these disciples. He started gathering up all of these people. And what's he saying? Come follow me. I have a short video I want you to see. Jesus said to the disciples, follow me. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. But how do you really follow someone? Is that a decision that you make? Or is it a a direction that you go? Who is the world following? And do they even know? Maybe the bigger question, maybe the more important one, is who are you following? Jesus says to you, follow me. Isn't that cool? But think about that whole thing of Jesus just coming and saying, I want you to follow me. So Jesus gathers up the disciples. He's getting them all there. And it's kind of a motley crew if you kind of follow who they all are, you know. You got this one over here that's kind of skeptical. We end up calling him Doubting Thomas. And we got all these. We got Peter who's boisterous and, you know, always the one that's got to talk. Hey, I've got to be the closest one to Jesus. I've got to be all of these different things. And then he calls someone they didn't expect. In Mark chapter 2, verse 13, then Jesus went out to the lake shore again. Okay? He's really happy with going to the lake. Apparently, Jesus likes water. And he taught the crowds that they were coming to him. And as they walked along, he saw Levi, the son of someone else, and sitting at the tax collector's booth, and we know it to be Matthew. And he calls him and says, follow me and be my disciple. Now, picture this. You got all the other disciples that he's picked, all these other ones that are like, cool, we're part of the Jesus gang, and they've already done some miracles with Jesus, and they've seen some things. They're like, man, that was a great decision. This is a great thing we're doing. This is going to be cool. This is going to look really good on our resume. Okay, man, we're going to be able to launch and, man, forget fishing. Man, this is it. We got this going on. And then Jesus walks up to a tax collector. Now, we can't fathom this, and you've probably heard this, but you're going to hear it again. We can't, in our own society today, put this together with the same strong emphasis that they had. Tax collectors, in their time, when this was written, were Roman captivity, essentially. They had control over everything. So they were excising taxes from the Hebrews, but they weren't going to spare a Roman person to do that. So they hired actual Hebrew people to basically betray the other people, their people, to 
excise that tax to be the ones who go and take it. Now, there was a really big tax. It's generally like 50% of everything you own. And the next year, it's 50% again. And it's just crazy. But they could do anything they wanted to so long as Caesar got his money. So they could charge 60% if they wanted to under the authority of the badge, if you will, of the Roman government. So as you can well imagine, if somebody that's in your family turns on you and becomes the agent for this ruling, occupying government that everybody hates, and they're taking half or more, they're stealing from you, are you going to have really good thoughts towards those people? You're not going to like them at all. In fact, they hated them. So they are lower than whale poop at the bottom of the ocean, if you follow what I'm saying, okay? They're just like, there's nothing lower than a tax collector. So Jesus is walking along, and he sees Matthew sitting at the tax collecting booth, and he walks up and says, follow me. And they're all going, wait, time out. What is this follow me stuff? This is really good on our resume. He's not going to help my resume. Jesus, come here, Jesus, Jesus. Do you know who he is? Now, you're not from around here, maybe, but, you know, and they're trying to say all this stuff, but Jesus is not moved by any reputation, his ego or anything. And he says to Matthew, follow me and be my disciple. Now, we don't see every word that they said in the Bible, obviously. We just got these short chapters and books. But you can imagine all the dialogue that they had. I mean, it would be so awesome to know everything they said and as they're walking from place to place. But can't you do a little sanctified reasoning with me? Peter is a big mouth through the entire thing that we have written here. Do you think that he just was pious and quiet during this? Or don't you think that he was the big mouth here as well? Jesus, no, we can't do that. Not him. Anybody but him. Okay, no, we can't do this. And uh, and their brains are twisting all around because this was a place of, man, this is going to be great for us. But now you're bringing him? Okay, Jesus. Okay, okay. I wasn't qualified to come with you either. I guess maybe... Maybe he's going to get saved since he's going to walk away from that. So, okay, I guess we can make this work. Verse 15. Then Matthew, Levi, invited Jesus and his disciples to come to his home. (laughs) Wait, 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 Jesus. First, you want to take this guy that everybody hates. You're, You're just ruining our reputation now you want us to go to his house? Do you know everybody knows his house? It's the rich palace because he steals from everybody. You want us to go eat there? We are so done. I was hoping maybe nobody knew he was a tax collector as we go to other cities, but we're going to his house. Everybody's going to know. And sure enough, they did. Says he invited them to their house as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. <laughs> See, the house was full of people that no one in, in their society wanted. 
They might have had a lot of money. They might have had a lot of wealth flowing, you know, the best food and all this stuff, but everyone despised them. Another version says chief sinners, like the worst of the worst people. That's your dinner party? Can you imagine that? When God started taking my wife and I on this journey that was taking religion out of us, quite forcefully actually, was when we came out to Dallas in 2001 for my ordination service at Christ for the Nations. And they had a guest speaker that week for the banquet is Dr. John Garlock, which is one of my favorite speakers when I was a student. And Dr. Garlock could just talk and just honey was coming out of his mouth. I mean, you just listen to him forever. And you'd like, that was like two minutes, right? And it's like five hours. I mean, he just was a great, phenomenal guy and just a great orator. So he was the banquet speaker. And he told the story in the middle of his speech that all these years, we still remember. He said, there's a famous minister that was called to Hawaii for a conference. And back in the 80s and the 90s, if Jesus was going to show up anywhere for a conference, it was Hawaii. That's where everybody had to go, to Hawaii. So he's there. He's the main guy for this, this whole conference. And he's staying in the hotel, but he's from East Coast time in America. And 3 o'clock in the morning, he's wide awake because he's still jet-lagged or however. So he goes down the stairs and finds an all-night diner across the street from the hotel. And as he's sitting there just, just, you know, seeing what's going on locally, a bunch of girls come walking in that you can tell are maybe not the um, picture perfect of society. And he's listening to them, and just they're just chattering and just oblivious to everything going on. And one of the girls made a comment under her breath, kind of. She said, tomorrow's my birthday. Not that anybody cares. He just kind of was taken back by that a little bit. So they finished up, and they left. So he's talking to the owners, and they're cleaning up for everything. He goes, who are those girls? And he's like, well, it's the local riffraff. They're the local prostitutes, and they work their shift and then they come in here and, you know, they eat. And he goes, do they come in every night? And they go, yeah. It's like, huh. He goes, well, the one girl that was sitting there, like, oh, yeah, that's Gloria. I heard her say that tomorrow's her birthday. Not that anybody cares. He goes, what do you say we throw a birthday party for Gloria? The wife says, I'll make the cake. He goes, well, I'll go buy the party stuff. So the next day he spoke all day at the conference. Remember, he's the main guy, Okay. Went out and bought the stuff. Three o'clock in the morning, go over there. And they decorate the little diner. And the wife had made a cake. So the door opens up. Sure enough, here they all come walking in. They're going, surprise, happy birthday. And Gloria's like, what, are you, what, what, what is this? It's like, this is a birthday cake for you. She says, well, what do I do with it? You do anything you want to with it. It's yours. She'd never had a birthday celebration in her life. She'd never had a birthday cake. Can you imagine? They said, well, what do I do with it? Whatever you want, honey. She took it out of their hands and turned around and walked out the door. (laughs) They're like, well, that was very uneventful. So everyone else sat down, 
And they finished eating their food, and then the girls got up and left, and they're cleaning up again. And they came over there and stopped in front of them and said, Who are you? Said, well, I'm a pastor, and I'm here for this conference. And the, the husband, the owner of the thing, says, There's no way you're a pastor. He goes, Why in the world did you say that? He goes, There's no way that there's a church whose pastor would throw a birthday party for a prostitute. Because if there was such a church, I'd go there. Dr. Garlock tells a story. My wife and I are almost in tears. Going, the churches we've been in, Gloria wouldn't have been welcomed in, much less celebrated in. That's where Matthew's at. He's not celebrated No one's happy when he walks in the door. The only one he can gather any influence, any fellowship with, any friendship at all is other tax collectors and chief sinners, it says. But Jesus was not moved by that. Verse 16. But when the teachers... The Sadducees, the Pharisees, they all saw him eating with the tax collectors and other sinners. They asked his disciples, why does he eat? Why does he eat with such scum? Ugh. Ugh. Isn't that horrible? I love Jesus' reply. When Jesus heard this, He replied to them and said, healthy people don't need a doctor, but sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. You know, the amazing thing is my wife and I are reaching out, and I'm sure you guys are too, the people who we would classify as sinners, people who don't go to church, people who walked away from God, they all know they sin. We don't need to tell them of their sins. We need to be like Jesus. Jesus didn't walk up to Matthew and said, you're a wretched person. We're going to write a song, Amazing Grace, later about you. That was funny. None of you laughed. But... He just came in love, knowing who he was, knowing his reputation, knowing what people would say about him, and Jesus did not care. He says, come follow me. I had an opportunity this week talking with someone who you guys will see very soon. And we've been working on this person for couple years and God just brought the paths across again and just I'm not going to go into too many details obviously but in giving her a ride home I said this is what I want you to do and I just love it when the Holy Spirit gives you an analogy it's just so amazing I said Lenore come up here I said, this is what I want from you. I want you to hold my hand. So she gave me, come over here. She gave me this other hand. 
And I'm like, no, that's not what I'm wanting. I'm wanting this hand. I said, this is all I want from you. I want you to come be with us. And I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. But I'm going after God. So I want you to come and just come along with us. And for a while, just, just fit in. I'm asking you to give us a year. You've tried all this time and it's not working. But give us a year. Just do what we're doing. Just let God do whatever God wants to do. I said, what's going to happen is in a few months, you're going to pick somebody with that hand and say, come with me. I don't have it all together. I don't know all the answers. But follow me as I'm following Pastor Kevin, who's following God. And a few weeks, months later, there's going to be somebody that picks up on the other person's hand who's going to say, I don't have it all together. I don't know what I'm doing. But I'm following them. Who's following them? Who's following them? Who's following Jesus? I said, before long, we've got all these people that are strung in here all in a line. I said, now, you know what that's called? I had her on the edge of her seat. Do you know what that's called? Church. That's church. Church isn't this big cathedral. It's not all these things. It's all of us linking arms, holding hands and saying, I'm going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. I'm going to be greatly in need of a Savior. You may too. You guys all may be perfect. I'm not, okay? But it's me following Jesus with the best of my ability. And I want you to follow me. But this isn't just Jesus asking people to follow him. The Apostle Paul did too. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, I love what he said. And you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. So what I'm asking all of us is to take this journey to join Lenore and I and the people who are the elders and the people who have jumped in and said, hey, we're all in. Link up arms with us. No, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to do things that aren't perfect and not like you like it. And, but none of that matters because we're going after God. And then find somebody to say, but you see, it's not about feeling a seat. It's about touching a life. And telling them, I, I don't know either. I, I, I really don't know. I have a friend who, who passed away last year. And when he was still living in Cuba, he would go and his dad had he, lots and lots of money. So pay for the best musicians to teach him um, guitar lessons. He had a cousin who didn't have any money and couldn't afford guitar lessons. So my friend Giovanni would go, and he would take lessons, and as soon as he'd leave there, he'd run right over to his cousin's house, and they'd pick up guitars. He goes, this is what he just showed me right now. His friend went on to play with the Eagles. (laughs) He took what he learned and said, I don't know everything, but these are the two little licks that I learned today. Learn these licks. That's all I'm asking for us to do. And before you know it, we're going to have scores and scores of people that we're all following, linked up, arms and arms, 
And we're going to see God do some amazing things in our church. Bow your heads with me. Father God, I'm so excited about this message. I'm so excited that you loved so unconditionally, so beyond what we deserve. That you didn't just love and want to hang out with the people who were of high standing, high society, the popular kids. But Lord, you were so willing to go and hang out with somebody you knew would ruin your reputation. Father, I pray that we will be not moved as well. And that we'll reach out to the glorias that are all around us. That we will touch the lives of those that you place in our path. And Lord, that we'll just tell them, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have it all together. I just learned this one scripture on Sunday. Let me tell you about it. And just give us a year and let you change our lives. Starting with me, Father. Let it roll down through us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.